Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing day. Lord, I thank you for every person here. Lord Jesus, I praise you so much for Adam and Ashley and the little bitty ones outside as they were reading your word in the playground. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We praise you as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, and three persons. Father, you loved us so much that you gave your one and only Son to die on the cross for our sins. And Jesus, after you died and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, you sent the promised Holy Spirit, your Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, to live and abide in everyone who confesses you as Lord. You've not left us as orphans, and we praise you for that. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to speak to us now through your word. Father, give me your words that I would say only what you want, nothing else. Bring encouragement, bring conviction, bring healing, bring transformation more than anything else, Jesus. May your name be glorified. Father, we ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. You all may be seated. Well, on behalf of our worship team, I just want to say welcome to each every one of you all today, those online worshiping with us. Welcome. We are glad that you are here. We have been going through the book of Acts, and last week was our last Sunday in Acts. And so this month, the month of June, we're starting a new, very short series called Why We Gather. Why do we do what we do? Now, all of you who are members here at Woodbine, you could probably explain to someone everything that we do in our worship service. And you might not even thought about it. We have an opening worship song. Then we have the welcome announcements and a prayer. Very good. Pay attention. We then have our congregational, well, we have the meet and greet, pass the peace of Christ. Then our congregational singing. After that, there is the offertory. Then we have the scripture reading. Then we have the what? Oh, sermon. Then there's a response song. And then there's the benediction. That's usually how it goes. That is our liturgy. But why do we do what we do? Why do we sing? Why do we give of tithes and offerings? Why do we preach? Why do we sing? Why do we do that? There's a lot of things we do in church that most of us probably, if we haven't thought about it, hmm, so why? And this month, the month of June, we're going to talk a lot about the why. Why do we do this? Why do we do that? We're not going to cover everything. Why do we not have good coffee in the back foyer right before worship? Why does Pastor Doug not allow us to bring coffee into the worship center? That's, just, that's, that's fake. That's not real. If you want to bring your coffee in, you can. Now you spill it, you clean it up, okay? Now, but today, why do we pray? That's what we're going to talk about today. Why do we pray? We all know we should pray, right? And I bet you if I ask the question, do you pray as much as you should? Most of us, if not all of us, say, no, I don't. And unfortunately, we die of the shouldas. I should, I should, I should, I should. And many times the evil one will just put that heavy burden on us because we know we should pray. And we don't pray enough like we think we should. But why do we pray? What is prayer? Well, I've got a quick story I want to share with you. I gave Hunter a couple pictures, but the file I gave him just didn't work. Back when I was in second grade, and I'm sure I've shared this story, if you've heard me long enough, I begin to repeat some of my stories, and so I need to find new ones, as my wife Christy would say. I was in second grade, and I had a bicycle, and it 
would be a famous bike today if I still had it. But it had the huge handlebars that came up, and it had the tassels at the end. It had what we called a banana seat and these big monster tires. And it was a hoopty. It was awful. Now, I loved it, but when we moved to Jackson, Tennessee, and I got there and was riding my bike with all my new friends in my neighborhood, I got made fun of. I didn't have one of those new dirt bikes with the mag wheels and like the bright red, yellow colors. And so I'd cry almost every day. I want a new bike, mama, I want a new bike. And I'll never forget when Christmas was rolling around, one of my best friends, we were going into the mall of Jackson. And he said, Doug, let's go see Santa. And I'm convinced that if you tell Santa with all of your heart that you want a new bike, he'll give it to you. So I sat on Santa's lap. I was eight years old. And I pleaded with Santa to give me a new bike. And guess what I got for Christmas? A new bike. It was so amazing that I believed in Santa for a whole nother year. It was amazing I got that new bike. Now, unfortunately, many of us look at prayer that way. Or we see God as a Santa Claus. If I ask, he will give. I mean, hey, Jesus says you do not have because you do not ask, right? Or maybe this one. We do those Hail Mary prayers like when we're in really, really deep trouble. We're like, God, please help. Or maybe those missionary prayers when we are served a type of food and we see this food, like I was given lots of times in Mexico with chicken feet sticking out or like pig skin and there's still yucky hair still hanging on it. And you're like, oh, Lord Jesus, I will get it down as long as you keep it down. And he'll remind me, hey, Doug, you said wherever you lead me, I will follow. And whatever you feed me, I will swallow. I mean, those are some of those really good missionary prayers. But we've all done it that way where we've thrown up prayers and we've prayed. And yet as believers, as we read the Bible, we come to church, we hear the pastor preach. And we're like, man, I just don't pray like I should. But why do we pray? Now, here's even another question. What is prayer? It's communicating with the Lord. And you know, there's four basic aspects of prayer. Now, Johnny didn't ask us to count to two today, but let's count one, two, three, four. There's four types of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We just got done with the book of Acts. A-C-T-S. This is a great anachronym to remember about prayer. Prayer is not just us talking to God. It's us worshiping him, us thanking him, us praying and interceding for ourselves. That's supplication and others. But there's also corporate prayers. We pray together. There's silent prayer. There's meditative prayer. One of the things that Elanka and I want to encourage you during our offertory, we have a worship song. And we really want to encourage you to sing along with this or to meditate on those words or actually take the time to go on our website or text when you text 623-623-GIVE because giving, which we'll see in a couple of weeks, is an act of worship. Our worship team is not up here performing. They are worshiping and they are singing. And we'll talk about that too. Why do we sing? But today is, why do we pray? Right here, Philippians chapter four. And I want to ask everybody to stand up. Please stand back up again. Here's the... A question I'm going to ask you. So hopefully everybody can stand. If you can't stand, that's okay. Don't worry. We've got a baby, a newborn, and he's lovely. If you do not struggle with worry, please sit down. Anybody sit down? Okay. 
If you struggle with worry, take a seat. Why do we worry? I asked the worship team that this morning, and the answer was yes. Why do we worry? What do you worry about? Finances, health, relationships, family, your kids, your parents, your job, your past, your future, tomorrow, yesterday? Is the answer yes? All of us worry. And a lot of times we worry, and someone said on worship team, I won't tell you who said it, we worry because we don't have control. Now we're going to do a little bit of exercise because we might eat some pie later on after lunch. If you like to be in control and have control, stand up. Most of us like to have that control. And if we're not in control of our health, of our future, of our finances, of our job, of our relationships, we tend to worry. Is that not true? You may be seated. This verse right here, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it's the most underlined scripture passage in the whole Bible. This verse right here, 6 and 7, is underlined and marked more than any other verse in all of Scripture. Do not worry. Do not be anxious about what? Anything. But in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And we're going to dive into this passage. It's short. It's tiny. I hope my sermon isn't too, too long. We'll pray and we'll see. But here's some context with the book of Philippians. For those who are with us going through the book of Acts, the church at Philippi, the Philippians was a church in the city of Philippi. It was a Roman colony. And it was known for having numerous, many Roman soldiers who had retired lived in Philippi. And in Acts chapter 16, that is where we see how the church of Philippi got started. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they went into that city and they preached. And this woman named Lydia, who was a wealthy businesswoman, she got saved and she housed them for several weeks. And there was this slave woman who who had a demonic spirit in her, and she kept bothering and harassing Paul and Silas and Timothy, saying that these men were preaching about the way. And Paul, through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, cast the demon out. And as a result, the owners of this slave girl, this teenager, they got so mad that they stirred up the crowds in the marketplaces, and they arrested Paul and Silas. They beat Paul and Silas. They threw Paul and Silas in prison in the inner cell locked in chains. And in the middle of the night, they were praying and singing and worshiping the Lord and all the prisoners were listening. The chains fell off. There was an earthquake. The doors opened up. The jailer woke up and he is going to kill himself because back in that day, if prisoners escaped, the jailer was held responsible and usually paid for it for his life. And Paul said, do not harm yourself. We're all here, which I think is the greatest miracle that Paul and Silas had convinced all the prisoners to stay. So the jailer came in and asked, Brothers, what must I do to become saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your whole family will be saved. The jailer puts his faith in Jesus. He and his whole family get baptized that very night. 
He took Paul and Silas to his house. He cleaned their and washed their wounds, gave them food. That's how the Philippian church got started. And as Paul went back to Jerusalem, Paul was put in jail for over two years in Israel and then traveled to Jerusalem, to, Israel, to Rome, sorry, to Rome. It was in house arrest for two more years. Paul had planted dozens and dozens and dozens of churches. And you want to know what, what church was the most faithful to him? The church at Philippi, the Philippians. They prayed for Paul. They sent food to Paul, money to Paul. They even sent brothers and sisters to Paul to encourage him while he was in jail. And while Paul was in prison in Rome, Acts chapter 28, he wrote this letter to the Philippians. And we know this letter. If you're discouraged, if you need great encouragement, read this letter to the Philippians. We're going to read verses 1 through 4 very quickly. I won't make you stand this time. We've stood up enough and sat down enough, okay? But if I find you catch you sleeping, we'll stand back up, all right? Philippians 4 verse 1. This is what Paul says. Here's the context. Now remember, Paul is in prison. He's been in prison for almost four years when he writes this. He doesn't know his future. He is not free. And Paul writes this. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. We could spend two sermons on that alone. Verse 2, I urge Eudia and I urge Sintiche, if that's how you pronounce it, sorry. These are two women in the church of Philippi. I urge them to agree in the Lord. You see, they were in conflict. Have you ever had church conflict? Have you ever had a brother or sister that you just didn't quite agree with and there was conflict? We're called to unity. Now, it doesn't mean we have to agree on everything, but we are called to love one another, have compassion with one another, forgive one another, be slow to speak and quick to listen, to tolerate one another and have compassion on one another. And so Paul commands these two women. Could you imagine these two women in the church and they get back from Rome and they have a letter to Paul and he calls you out? Ooh, not in a good way. Could you imagine that being you? Ouch, right? We continue. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, and we don't know who that is, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Amen, little one. Excellent. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Is your graciousness known to everyone? Hmm. The Lord is near. Wow. And then here we go. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all or surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, we've all confessed that we all worry. Do you know that worry is actually a sin? We're commanded not to worry, and yet all of us worry. We've talked a little bit. We know we need to pray. But I bet you if I were to ask the question, and you don't have to answer, how many here pray as much as you want or you should? Probably most of us wouldn't even raise our hands. But see, I don't want to put that on us. 
Because too many of us as Christians, we beat ourselves up with the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. And we forget that we're in a love relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ and the presence and power of Holy Spirit. And he's a loving Father who longs for us to be in his presence. He longs to take us up in his arms, to embrace us and have eternal, incredible, true, real, intimate fellowship with him. He's not a taskmaster. He's not a slave master. And he doesn't have a list of a whole lot of to-dos and not-to-dos that he wants you to fulfill. And if you don't fulfill them, ugh, he's upset and disappointed in you. He's a loving father who walks with us. And he longs for each and every one of us to experience his love and his presence and his grace and his mercy. And he calls us to walk in humble obedience with him. And he has the power and the grace and the mercy to bring not only healing to our souls, but salvation for our life. Because he's good and he's merciful and he's compassionate. That is our heavenly father. So Paul commands us right here. And there's actually two commands and two truths in these two verses. There are two commandments. There's two truths. Here are the two commandments. The first one is, don't worry. That's the first commandment. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, I asked earlier, so what is worry? This is the meaning and the definition of worry. It's to give way to anxiety or unease. To allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. It's a state of anxiety and uncertainty over actual or potential problems. That's the definition of worry. And Paul commands us, don't worry. And I'll be honest with you, when I see that command, I'm like, yeah, right, Paul, sure. I worry about everything. I'm constantly worried. How can you tell us not to worry when it's true? And most of us are full of anxiety and we're all worked up. And to be honest, there's no real simple answer to fix it like that. If there was, we would take that pill. But we do worry and we are anxious. And yet Paul commands us, don't worry. What's that second commandment? The second commandment is this, pray. Now the actual commandment is present your request to God. And when I think about that, it's almost like someone coming into the presence of a king presenting. Now, we had a wedding here yesterday. Rebecca and Brady got married. If you missed it, sorry. It was an awesome, amazing wedding. And it was outside. And yes, it was kind of hot, but the shade was awfully nice. And it was awesome watching the father, Michael, of Rebecca bringing her forward. And the question, who presents this woman to be married to this man? And he says, her mother and I do. As he comes before all of us in the presence of God and all these witnesses, who presents? And Paul right here tells us, he says, don't worry. Now that's hard to do. And I'll confess and admit, I can't stop worrying a lot of times. But we're commanded not to, okay. But on the contrary, present your request to God. Let it be known. But there's something and it's very important. Paul tells us right here how we're to present our request to God with prayer and supplication. Now, supplication is praying for yourself, but in the context of this verse, it's like an intense, deep, constant, continual seeking of God's face. It's not just throwing up a few prayers, God help, even though at times those are the best prayers to pray. But there's an intentionality to it where we come before the Father 
And we need to understand that our father, his arms are wide open. And many times he's on his knees with his arms wide open saying, come into my presence. There are two verses that I love, and I'll go ahead and have the guys put it on the screen. One is from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. This was another letter that Paul wrote while in prison in Rome. And he tells the Ephesian church, in him, in Christ, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. To do what? To enter into God's presence. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews is another verse that says, in Hebrews 4.16, it says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace. That's God's presence with what? Oh, y'all are sleeping. Come on, wake up. With what? Boldness. My father, who is now with Jesus. Dad, I love you. Can't wait to see you. He used to be the chief of staff at the Jackson Madison County General Hospital. So he is in charge. A hospital of over 700 beds. And I was in Mexico, and Sammy came a month early for his delivery date, due date. So in the middle of the night, Christy called me up, bought a plane ticket, flew up to Nashville. My brother picked me up. We raced down. We flew to Jackson on four wheels, not with two wings. And I remember getting there, and the nurses were telling me and my brother and sister-in-law, we got nurses at every station. When we pulled up to that huge hospital, I had nowhere, to, no idea where to go. But I was extremely confident. I know exactly that they're going to take me into the presence of my wife and my future son or daughter. Why? Because my dad was in charge of that hospital. And there was this confidence. I don't have to fear a thing. And that's just a tiny example of the confidence and boldness that we can enter into God's very presence because of Jesus. Because he makes the way. And our heavenly father is a loving father Stoop down, arms wide open. Watch Josh and Dustin and Ethan with their little kids this morning. And watch how they're little ones. And if you got littles and I didn't call you out, I'm sorry. But watch these three dads when their kids, who are toddlers, come running up to them. Now, guys, don't leave me out to dry. Give them a big old hug, okay? That is how our Heavenly Father is. And we can approach his throne with boldness because Jesus has paved the way and opened the way for us to enter into God's presence. And we do not need to fear. And so when Paul tells us, don't be anxious about anything, don't worry, but pray, boldly entering. And there's a key here with thanksgiving. Why Thanksgiving? Is anyone familiar with Psalm 22? Psalm 22, we know it because Jesus quoted the very first verse. And actually theologians will tell you that Jesus quoted the entire Psalm while on the cross because every good Jewish person during the time of Christ, when they were on their deathbed, they would recite and quote Psalm 22. Most of us know the very first God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we think it's a psalm of lament. And it starts out in lament. But by verse 3, there is an incredible truth there. It says, but you are holy. Psalm 22 starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And by the time we get to to verse 3, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of your people. 
God inhabits our praises in a very unique, distinct way than he does otherwise. It's one reason why we sing. Because when we sing and we praise him, God is always present. But here and in many other places in Scripture, the Scriptures describe that God inhabits and abides and dwells in the praises of his people. So the more we look up, so to speak, to him, the more he descends upon us. It's a doorway to commune with our Heavenly Father. Psalm 95.2 tells us, and Psalm 95.2 is the command, let us enter his presence with Thanksgiving. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. Mama, don't close her mouth. No, I'm just teasing. With thanksgiving. You see, when we begin to thank the Lord, and when we begin to thank him with voz alta, as we say in Spanish, out loud, our minds, our minds, our ears and minds hear our mouth proclaim thanksgivings. And we become more in tune with God's presence, who is very much with us always. So when we're worried, when we're fearful, when we're afraid, when we're anxious, I want to encourage you like Paul encourages us here to present our request and to pray, 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 earnestly pray. Bang down God's doors. He will open them for you. Be steadfast, persevere, be patient with thanksgiving. Because as we thank him, we'll, get, we'll, grow, we'll learn to begin to hear his voice and sense his spirit and hear what he has to say. The two promises in this passage, and I got to go quick. It's getting late. There are two commands. Don't worry and pray. There are two promises. The, the peace of God surpasses all understanding. And the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. There is a peace that God has and gives and is that we can't comprehend and understand, but we can experience. Peace, to, true peace, is not the absence of conflict or difficulty. Let me say it again. True peace is not the absence of conflict or difficulty. True peace is a person, and his name is Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the King of Peace, and he gives us his peace, who is his very self. Now, that's horrible English. But Jesus is our peace, and he gives us his peace, not as the world gives, but it's an eternal, perfect, everlasting peace that even if we go through trials and tribulations, even if we go through rejection and great loss, We can experience the peace of Jesus that surpasses all understanding. We might not truly understand it or even comprehend it or even be able to contain it in our mind, but we can experience it. And just like our dear brother Job from thousands of years ago, he says, even though he slay me, referring to God himself, I will yet praise him. Because peace isn't a concept. It is the King, Lord Jesus, who died on the cross for you and for me. He is our peace, and he gives us our peace. And his peace guards our hearts and our minds. That is both our intellect and our emotions. 
And it is no coincidence that Paul wrote this to this Roman city with probably hundreds, if not thousands, of retired Roman soldiers. And the Prince of Peace stands guard, guarding our minds and our hearts that we do not have tribulation. Why do we pray? We pray because God commands it. We pray because he invites us to. And we pray because we have the privilege to pray. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. Prayer is one of the major vehicles of how we commune with God. And as I shared earlier, there's four types of prayer. There's adoration. That's worship. That's singing. That's praising. It's declaring who God is. There's confession. And that's admitting our sin, our weakness, our our unfaithfulness. There's thanksgiving, which we've talked quite a bit about. And then there's supplication. I want to invite all of you to stand. And as the worship team gets ready, There are several practical steps that I want to encourage you with. If you find yourself struggling with worry, and we all do, I want to encourage you to boldly go to the presence of the Lord. And the first thing, just start with thanksgivings. As our dear brother Paul says, thank him for who he is and what he's done. The second thing I want to encourage all of us to do is acknowledge and confess your worry. Name it out loud. Lord, I am worried about X. I'm afraid about X. Whatever X is. God has given us two ears and one mouth. And many times for most of us, I include myself, most of my prayers are me doing all the talking. And not taking that time to listen. If you put your faith in Jesus, his very spirit lives in you. God speaks to us first and foremost through his written word. And yet his very spirit abides in our heart. He knows why you're worried. He knows why you're anxious. And when we pour our heart out to him, praying and seeking his face, it's also important to take time to stop Listen, be quiet, and see what the Lord has to say back to us. I want to encourage you to do that daily. We talk a lot about 365, 1511. If we were to read the Bible for 15 minutes a day, one chapter a day, we would read the whole Bible in one year, 365 days. I want to encourage all of us to take five minutes a day in silent prayer. First, thanking the Lord for who He is and what He's done. And then just listening, meditating on Jesus and allowing His Spirit to speak to your spirit because He promises to guard your heart and your mind if you seek His face first. As we worship and sing, There'll be a couple people over here to my left, your right at Next Steps. We would love to pray with you. Whatever prayer request you have, physical, spiritual, emotional, relational. I know the pews are tight. 
Tell your neighbor to move out of the way because you want to pray. But we'll wait and pray with you. Let us worship him.